Hello, my name is Tom Langson, and welcome to this episode of the Telltales Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Bartholomew Moletti, an expert on copyright from learning on screen. Copyright is a real issue facing higher education, and one that is not addressed as strongly as it should be, with misunderstandings playing a high part in what people think copyright means and how it fits into higher education. I asked him about what we should be doing as an institution and what we can do as individuals. Throughout the episode, there is mention of IP, which in this instance stands for intellectual property. I started by finding out about learning on screen and also how to pronounce Bartolomeo's name. Hi, good morning. Yes, of course, I'm Bartolomeo Meletti and I work as Copyright Services Delivery Manager at Learning on Screen. Uh, Learning on Screen is a charity and membership organization uh, specialized in the use of moving image and sound in education. Uh, my role at Learning on Screen mainly uh, consists in helping other, our members understand how copyright law regulates the use of audiovisual works in education uh, with a view to helping them making informed decisions on copyright issues. And yeah, in addition to this, I also work for CREATE, which is the UK Copyright and Creative Economy Center at the University of Glasgow. And in particular, I work on a resource called copyrightuser.org, uh, which is an independent online platform uh, intended to make uh, UK copyright law accessible to everyone. So how do you feel higher education approaches the issues of copyright? Uh, well, I mean, I would say that the higher education sector approaches the issue of copyright inconsistently, and that is an issue for both teachers and students. Uh, you know, research shows that each UK IHE institution has its own IP policy, which is often little known or understood by teachers and students alike. So apart from a few specialists within the higher education institution, you know, almost no one knows who owns, for example, the work created by teachers and students. And that's an issue in particular for the teachers who, you know, change job, for example, and you know, are not sure whether they will be able to take their teaching materials with them. Uh, or for creative students also who want to have a career in the creative industries and may want to include, uh, you know, some of the work they produce as students also in their portfolio. If people are, as you say, producing their own work and, and students especially producing something as part of a project, how do they go about finding out whether they do own the copyright to it and what they can do to keep copyright if it is maybe held under the university's license? Yeah, well, exactly. What they should, they should do is to basically check the IP policy of their own institutions where they will either work or study and see what it says. I mean, it could well be that, you know, the IP policy of the institutions that copyright stays with the creator. So teachers and students own the copyright in the work they create. Or it could be that there is an assignment of rights from the students and teachers to the institutions. Or sometimes they have like a shared ownership, so like a 50-50 ownership, for example. Uh, but yeah, one issue is that those IP policies are usually quite hard to read. So, and also, you know, it's not something that one would uh, think about naturally, you know, to go and check uh, the IP policy of the institution. In terms of how it should be managed, uh, I think it should probably be, you know, there, be, there should be more constructive dialogues on these issues between the institution and the individuals working or studying at the institution. And have you found if there's uh, maybe a flip between what is granted copyright license to maybe the academics while being paid to work there and the students who maybe produce it, as I say, as kind of a project bit where they're studying? Um yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't looked at the IP policies in such detail, but usually, I guess, I mean, as far as I know, they're, uh, 
you know, they either leave copyright with the both uh, academics and students or they shared ownership. I mean, I'm not sure of any differences of treatment between academics and students in terms of, you know, ownership of copyright. So many, many institutions kind of, as you say, have an IP policy and, and the copyright maybe expert within a department mm-hmm. and they take copyright yeah. seriously kind of in that theoretical higher level. Um, but many yeah. people as individuals who are working within those institutions don't see it as, as such of an issue. Many people don't see copyright to be a problem. Uh, how do you feel that could or should be managed? Yeah, I, I mean, I believe, as I said, you know, that there should be more constructive dialogues, you know, and, uh, between the institutions and the individuals. And uh, I mean, those dialogues should be aimed at developing IP policies that actually consider the needs of the individuals, but also at increasing the knowledge and understanding of copyright within the institution, not just among the specialists and experts, but, you know, among anyone who uses copyright works during their activities. And, you know, in my view, ideally, uh, HEIP policies should also follow, in a sense, the example of the Creative Commons licenses in terms of simplifying the terms, their terms so that everyone can understand them. So, you know, the Creative Commons licenses have uh, three layers, so to speak. So there is the so-called legal code, which is the actual license written in legal language. But then they also have uh, what is called the Commons deed, which is a human readable version of the license. And then they also have like a machine readable version of the license to help search engines identifying works distributed under Creative Commons. But yeah, I think that, you know, it would be very helpful if uh, higher education IP policies had both, not just the sort of legal version, the, the, the actual license, but also sort of their own Commons deed. So a more human readable version of the policy. And do you kind of, as an institution of learning on screen and through your other roles, uh, do you help at all write any of these policies or raise the awareness of copyright issues? Uh, Yes, well, I do help raising, I mean, I don't help like writing specifically the policies, but yeah, I do help people understand what the issues are that, you know, an IP policy with an higher education institution should address. Within my role, I obviously hear quite a bit, oh, it's for educational use, it's okay, I I can use that. Is that actually true? Uh, well, no, unfortunately, it's not as simple as that. I mean, it is true that, uh, you know, in terms of using copyright works uh, within educational settings, one can do much more than, you know, in a commercial environment, for example. But that doesn't mean that, you know, as you said, as many people, you know, tend to think that, you know, teachers and students can do whatever they want uh, with copyright works just because it's for educational purposes. So the, you know, the UK Copyright Act provides a list of exceptions, of copyright exceptions that apply to educational uses specifically. So, for example, illustration for instruction or Section 34 of the UK Copyright Act, uh, which allows teachers to screen entire films uh, to their students. But each of these exceptions, you know, like a very different, uh, well, you know, have different application criteria such as, you know, non-commercial purposes or they only apply if the use of the work can be considered fair dealing. Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, I think, again, it's useful for anyone who uses, uh, you know, copyright works uh, for educational purposes to have at least a basic understanding of the possibilities offered by the by the law so that they can then make informed decisions on what and how to use uh, copyright works. What resources maybe would you suggest people go to first to start their copyright journey? Uh, 
I mean, so I mean, there's, there, there, I mean, a very good website is the copyrightuser.org website. I mean, I'm a bit biased because I'm, you know, working on it. But uh, yeah, I think copyrightuser.org is a very good source of guidance. Uh, the guidance is reliable and authoritative because it's written by leading experts, but it's also accessible because we ask the, our contributors to use an accessible language. And also importantly, it's up to date. Uh, so we update the content of the website regularly uh, with the help of our editorial board. And uh, so, yeah, the copyright user uh, website is a good place to start learning about copyright, but also to, you know, use it as a reference point every time you want to check, you know, how, you know, th certain things are regulated. Then, you know, it's freely accessible and it also offers various open access multimedia resources so that can people use for direct learning, but also to teach other people about copyright. So, yeah, I would say that is a good website. With obviously that being a UK-based website, what happens when resources may very well come from other countries, maybe in, in America or, or around, through Europe? Is there anything that we need to uh, sort of look at and address in terms of using materials that cross sort of continents and borders? Uh, well, yeah, so basically, I mean, general copyright law is territorial, meaning that, you know, the creation and use of works in the UK is regulated by UK law. Uh, which is nested into EU law. But then, yes, as you say, you know, in certain cases, one also needs to consider uh, other countries' laws too, especially if you want to distribute your work online. So say, for example, that if you, you use a work without permission because it is in the public domain, so for example, you create uh, you know, a video based on Sherlock Holmes stories. So you can do that in the UK because Conan Doyle died more than 70 years ago, and so his work is out of copyright. But then if you distribute your own derivative work online that you also need to be careful. I mean, to you know, consider a US copyright law, for example, where the copyright term is different. So there, you know, there are uh, different rules and a few of the Sherlock Holmes stories that were published after 1924 are still protected. So yeah, that's one example of when, you know, one needs to consider also other countries' uh, copyright laws, especially with online distribution of works that are based on other people's work, I would say. Now, I know you actually produced a, a Conan Doyle a copyright sort of story, video, and resource. How, how did you go about sort of producing that, and how did, how did you start and, and then end up where you have? Uh, yes, that is The Game is On, uh, yeah, which is a series of sh uh, short animated films uh, featuring Sherlock Holmes. And uh, it is an educational resource about copyright. I mean, that all started uh, back in 20. 14, if I remember correctly, uh, we had some funding to produce an educational resource around copyright. So Professor Ronan Deasley from Queens, which is, who is now at Queens University Belfast, uh, and I uh, decided to produce a short uh, animated film uh, featuring Sherlock Holmes and Pinocchio. And the whole idea behind it was basically to you know, create a film that demonstrated the, the creative possibilities offered by copyright law. So, for example, by reusing Sherlock Holmes and Pinocchio, we would show how you can freely reuse out-of-copyright characters. And so, yeah, that, I mean, in principle, that was meant to be a, a standalone short film. Uh, but then, yeah, we, I mean, the film received the AHRC, the Arts and Humanities Research Council's Innovation Award, and with that, we managed to uh, get another small pot of funding from the Author Licensing and Collecting Society to produce episode two, uh, which is aimed mainly on, at the screenwriters, I mean, addressing the copyright uh, concerns of screenwriters. 
And then also through, I mean, we that's when we came up with the idea of producing a whole series of six episodes. And so we applied for, again, for HLC funding, and we got that funding to produce four more episodes. So at the moment, you, I mean, the, it's an open access resource, so anyone can find it and use it for free uh, on copyrightuser.org. And it consists of six short animated films accompanied by more than like 33 case files, which are educational materials uh, explaining various corporate topics in accessible terms. And yeah, in addition to that, also, we produced annotations, like annotated scripts that uh, keep track of our creative process. So basically, we show, we explain how much, how many, you know, different works we have reused and why we believe that our use was lawful, either because, you know, the work was out of copyright or because we used it under a copyright exception. Now, you mentioned there uh, about uh, a sort of a character being out of copyright and also uh, about the difference between sort of Conan Doyle's work here and in the US. What does it mean when a, a character is out of copyright? So, yeah, basically creative works in the UK uh, become out of copyright 70 years after the author's death. Uh, so... And that means basically that, I mean, once copyright has expired, the work enters the public domain. And that basically means that everyone can reuse the work for free. So there is no copyright attached to it. Uh, the case of, of literary and fictional characters is actually a bit more complicated because, I mean, in the UK is not even clear whether fictional characters are protected at all. Uh, but, I mean, basically whether, you know, the character can be protected uh, you know, separately from the work in which the character appears but then, having said that, I mean, in the US or in other EU countries like Germany, uh, fictional characters are protected by copyright. So I guess it's safer to assume that, uh, yeah, fictional characters can be protected by copyright. But yes, like 70 years after the author's death, characters and, you know, all the works created by that author are free for everyone to use. Have you got any good case examples where um, copyright... Uh, or institutions have had an issue with copyright and maybe how they've dealt with that? Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I'm not aware, uh, you know, of any big issues. I mean, I know, I mean, like higher education institutions, as far as I'm aware, had not faced, like, you know, uh, have not, I, I'm not sure if they have ever been sued for copyright infringement. I mean, I know copyright can become an issue, like in mass digitization projects, uh, like, you know, those carried out by the British Library or funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund, you know, those ambitious uh, digitization projects, you know, it's very important. I know of projects that, uh, you know, that have not considered the copyright aspects of the project early on. And then, you know, when they realized that uh, they, you know, that they had to clear rights or to benefit from exceptions in order to be able to make some, you know, digitized materials available, then probably copyright became a problem so yeah i guess uh, a good good advice is basically to you know consider copyright uh, at the beginning of any projects that may have a copyright implication so it's much easier to you know basically plan it in advance and try to understand how you can play with the law when you know where you need to get a license where you can benefit from exceptions and so on rather than you know not considering it and then face the copyright challenge when it's too late so for someone starting a project but with maybe very little time to consider copyright in, in, in too much depth what would you say are maybe your top two or three tips to just sort of start covering yourself before you start a project rather than having to retrospectively sort of fight that corner 
Yeah, I mean, that very much depends on the nature of the project. But uh, I would say, I mean, the two main areas one needs to think about is, you know, if the project involves reusing existing materials, you know, try to understand what those materials are and, you know, come up with a sort of policy, maybe a risk management policy of how to deal with those materials, depending on, you know, whether they are still protected and so assess whether you can use it and uh, use them under exceptions or whether you need to get a license for that if they're not protected or where you know ownership is unknown you know what the level of risk is to use those works and then the other big, big aspect to consider is also how to treat and license your own work basically so if your project is going to create you know to generate uh, works that are protected by copyright uh, then how do you want to deal with that? You know, do you want to distribute those through an open license like Creative Commons or, you know, maybe some elements can be distributed openly, other may be protected if you wish to exploit it later on. But yeah, I would say, you know, think about what you need to reuse and, uh, you know, come up with a sort of risk assessment and risk management policy on how, if and how to use those items and then how you want to protect and exploit your own work. When people are approaching uh, putting materials into maybe their courses or modules within the, within a university things like youtube videos are obviously hosted by a, a third party and external sort of source should people be worried about using that kind of resource obviously i know there's uh, sort of the learning um on screen video resource like the, the bob national resource of, of free to air television but things that maybe are slightly more niche on youtube how do people how should people maybe approach that yeah well that's uh, complicated i mean from a copyright perspective i mean in general i mean there is also a lot of mat uh, legitimate materials on youtube but you never know so i guess the best tip with youtube is to uh, check the channel that makes the content available i mean if it's like an official challenge or say the bbc youtube channel then you can trust you know that you can probably use that uh, whereas if it's from a sort of anonymous or random user you know, perhaps it's bet better to avoid or try to find an alternative source of that content. Um, then, yeah, as you said, uh, the Learning on Screen, we offer the Bob service, which has uh, more than 2 million uh, broadcasts from radio and TV that people, that our members can use. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in general, you know, if people are unsure how to deal with uh, copyright materials, uh, also here at Learning on Screen, we offer a range of courses around copyright uh, like the course on copyright and creative reuse in education, uh, which helps attendees understand uh, the conditions under which uh, audiovisual works can be used uh, for educational purposes and also how mashups and other derivative works can be created uh, uh, within and beyond educational settings. So we run this course on a monthly basis here at our offices, but we also offer the possibility of hosting the course at any institution around the UK. Um, so yeah, I mean, if people are unsure then you know that they could come or organize our courses on uh, copyright and creative reuse and then as i said there is the copyright user website you know which is a good uh, reference point and then in terms of you know staying uh, up to date with copyright developments there are also some very good blogs uh, like the ip cat which is for ip in general so it's not just copyright but also patents trademarks and so on and also the 1709 blog is a good one which is uh, specifically about copyright and it's a good source to, you know, uh, stay up to date with copyright developments. Well, thank you very much for your time and, and answering some copyright questions for us. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. 
thank you for listening to this particular episode. And please check out telltales.port.ac.uk for more stories and episodes from the Tell team. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TellPortsmouth. The music for this episode is called Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod and all copyright information can be found within our show notes. Thank you.